The scripture reading comes from three different scriptures. You want me just to read which one? Just the first one. Just the first one. Okay, cool. Um, this comes from Deuteronomy. Uh, I can never say that right. Um, eighth chapter, verses 3 through 10. This is the word of God. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes, didn't, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man dis- disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills when you have eaten and are satisfied praise the lord your god for the good land he has given you this is the word of god excuse us for our semi-indecencies as we tuck things in and things right yeah you know y'all need to pay a lot more money than uh, or a lot a lot less money we need to pay i need to pay you no um so uh pastor howard got and i got to talking and we're like man we can't land this bird of mercy and justice yet there's more to be said there's more um more we have to talk about and as as we were talking and we were also realizing that i really didn't understand the passage that i was going to do uh at all the good samaritan i know it's normal and everybody gets it and we can go up there and three-year-olds can tell me how it works but i don't didn't understand it we got to thinking um let's do some of the things that we do um uh we get asked to do around town if you will or around uh the denomination uh believe it or not uh, uh pastor howard and i get asked to talk to people about mercy and justice and race and other things like that and we've never really actually done that for y'all we've always uh uh just kind of preach text and go and we've never done kind of the um the, the some of the things we've talked about to other people i was gonna say around the country but it's not really that glamorous at all it's really just kind of around the southeast kind of uh most of the times you can just drive there um uh but uh so i was going to do one on mercy and justice and one of the things that i that i that i do and it's a sunday school and then i, I had to make it a sermon because sunday schools uh aren't sermons and uh and pastor howard and, uh, has uh, has one for race next week and Maybe another one the week after. We're, we're still trying to figure it out. But so we wanted to kind of let you know, let you in on what some of the things that we do. But that's not the only reason. The, only, the other reason is because it really matters, thinking about mercy and justice. Uh, Jesus really seems to care about it. it I know that we, that, that we really do hold to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we really hold that. We believe it's true and right and, and awesome and wonderful and uh, redeeming. 
But Jesus uh, used to deal with all uh, with, with the issues of mercy and justice very strongly. He would go to the religious people of his day, the Pharisees, the, the really good Christians, if you will, the really good Jews of his day, and he'd say things like, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, you give a tenth of your dill and your mint, meaning you do all sorts of good, right, religious, moral practices, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Can you believe Jesus said that? You would think he would say, you've neglected the, per- the more, more, most important matter of the law, personal relationship with me. Now, he definitely has that in there. He does other things like that. But isn't that amazing? Mercy and justice and faithfulness. Mercy and justice. And let me give you kind of what I, th- when I say mercy and justice, what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word for peace. But it's not peace, and you've heard me talk about this part before. It's not peace as in the absence of conflict. It's peace, deep down, true, deep down body peace. Peace with yourself, peace with your Lord, peace with your neighbor, peace in the world. Exactly what Pastor Howard was praying for. Uh, He was praying for shalom. And mercy and justice are means or actions taken to move us towards shalom. It is a kingdom of shalom that the Lord is bringing. And we are doing these actions of mercy and justice, acts of unmerited favor on someone, and acts of bringing, making things right for someone or for some entity. We're doing those things, those acts of mercy and justice, as acts of shalom bringing, if you will. Mercy and justice. We're going we're gonna to talk about mercy and justice with regard to some patterns of the way Scripture deals with mercy and justice. And the reason we're going to do that is because every time I go somewhere, people ask this question. So what do I do with the homeless guy on the street when he comes up to me? What am I supposed to do there? What's my obligation? I'm like, oh, okay, this is... Uh, we got to talk. It's an important question. It's a really important question, but it's really begging two other questions. One is, what are my obligations to show mercy? But the other issue is, I know I have an obligation to show mercy. How do I do it? What are the things that I do? And I'm afraid that most evangelical churches, most uh, churches that deal with these issues, uh, uh, often only have a paradigm that has uh, feeding um, people in the homeless shelter during Christmas or during uh, uh, Thanksgiving. And that's kind of the standard way to do it. And so when I say mercy, everybody goes soup kitchen. And I want us to look at the biblical patterns. Now, that's true. That is one of them, as you'll see. But it's not the only thing that the Bible presents or that we're to pattern our lives of mercy and justice after. And so, um, in fact, uh, a friend of Howard and mine, uh, two friends who both probably be at this this conference that uh, Pastor Howard was talking about, uh, Marvin Williams and Carl Ellis. Actually, Carl Ellis's book is on the back table um, over there, which is not about mercy and justice. It's more about justice than mercy, but you can check that out over there. Um, but they were talking about this very problem, and they, and they came up with these four words that are going to help us, what they would say is biblical patterns for mercy and justice. Um, actually, Marvin Williams is telling me the story. They're at a Chinese restaurant talking about this issue, and they're like, you know, when I was growing up, he grew up poor in Philly, and so when I was growing up, all these people would come and do mercy ministry. They come and make fish sticks and hot dogs and invite everybody in the neighborhood and let me flunk out of school. Now, he didn't flunk out of school, but they would have let him flunk out of school and his other friends. And so they didn't really dig in deep enough. So he said, we've got to have a bigger categories, bigger paradigms, or what have you. And so they came up with these over Mugu Gai Pan, probably. Um, and the reason I give them to you is because I think we need help. 
I really think this is somewhat of a cognitive issue that we don't see. We can't, we can't see where, there, where the Bible actually presents other paths to run down. And I think most of us just need to be freed up. Some of us are, um, are feeling bad because we're not at the soup kitchen. And some of us are feeling a little self-righteous because we're at the soup kitchen. But, um, but, but we, we only can think of things in the soup kitchen. I want to free you up to the, all the biblical paradigms of mercy and justice, or many of the biblical paradigms of mercy and justice. And so we're going to check these patterns of mercy and justice. So I want you to be, be, be uh, in one sense, freed up to pursue the Lord's justice and mercy any way you want to, but also obligated then to pursue the Lord's just, uh, mercy and justice all the ways you can. Here are the four of them. They're all ease. They're easy to remember. Emergency mercy and justice. Let me see if I can get them off the top of my head. Empowerment, mercy, and justice. Endure, uh, equality, mercy, and justice. And enduring mercy and justice. And we're just going to go through the scriptures, the ones that you have before you, and just kind of name them out for us. We're going to just kind of t- tell what they are. And it starts in that um, uh, Deuteronomy 8, 3 through 4 passage that, that Pastor Howard read. If you read that there. Now, we're going to start with emergency. Emergency is providing the basic life-sustaining uh, ministry to someone who's in need. This is the soup kitchen one. Listen to Deuteronomy 8. He humbled you. This is God. Yahweh humbled you, Israel, causing you, Israel, to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes didn't wear. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Remember what the context of this is. This is Jew, the Israel coming out of Egypt, coming out of the bondage of slavery. They are an enslaved people crying out. And De- earlier in Deuteronomy it says, that We cried out uh, uh, for our Lord to hear me. And he did. And he did. And he brought them out. And he gave them emergency mercy. He fed them. This is kind of cool. Think about this now. For 40 years, you don't have to cook or work for your food. <laughs> for 40 years. Now, you got to eat manna <laughs> for 40 years, but uh, it's kind of a bready thing. It, 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 they didn't really get excited about it, so I'm guessing it wasn't that tasty. But uh, bre- uh, manna, for 40 years, the Lord provided for his people every single day, twice on, Sunday, on Friday then to provide for Saturday so they didn't have to gather on Saturday. How cool is that? emergency mercy every single day. This is that motto. Give a man a fish. Heck yeah, a man needs a fish. Give a man a fish. He's going to eat today. And the Lord provides that for him. Give a man a fish for 40 years. Now, you see, as you keep reading through there, it doesn't stay there. But I want to give you some examples in our own midst of people uh, to encourage you, people in our midst to get emergency mercy. You got uh, Dave Barons who feeds people every Tuesday morning uh, at 15th Street Church of God. I mean, Tuesday afternoon or lunchtime uh, at 15th Street Church of God. He goes and he feeds and builds relationships with folks. You got Ross, Hoppen, Ross Hobson working the, uh, the desk and, and meeting with folks for the emergency winter shelter. The emergency winter shelter's sole purpose is to keep people from dying in the winter. That's what its job's to do. It's not doing the other stuff. It's emergency mercy. That's what its job is. A warm place, dry place to stay. Then you have Pastor Howard and Jeremy and Todd and, uh, and Joey showing up in the midnight at Amanda Bullen's house when she got broken into. That's emergency mercy. You have Lee Thompson uh, uh, who, who is scurrying about to try to find um, uh, enough bail money to help one of his students get out of jail. That's emergency mercy. Just provision for the day. It's actually 
what the Morgans and the Hickmans have done for us, Amanda and Georgia, who for five weeks have no place to lay our head that is our own, but they have given us a place to lay our head. It's emergency mercy. I got nothing. I got them. Amen. (laughs) But this is the easiest of the ease, if you will, to kind of recognize. But it also is the one that starts so much of what our hearts are about. And I want to not diminish it. I want to fuel you past it. I want you to see it and get driven even further into the rest of the ease from emergency to um, empowerment mercy. Because you see what happens is Dave Barron's actually meets with these guys and he starts having conversations and he's putting food on and helping them with food. And, and then he goes, you know what, what's going on? You know, let me tell me more about yourself. And I'm like, well, we can't get into a shelter and we can't get some of the benefits we want because we don't have an ID card. Well, we don't have an ID card because we don't have a social security card. Well, we don't have a social security card because I just don't know how to do all the paperwork. I may not be able to read. I might not be able to... So he goes, oh, that's what we should do. Giorgio, is it okay if it's, it's like 15 bucks a piece if we can just get ID cards if I help them fill out all their paperwork? You see how emergency kind of moves into something else? It's exactly what happens in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 10 is empowerment mercy. God intended to give them, he actually said force them to be hungry so he could provide emergency mercy in order to get to them a point where he could give them empowerment mercy. Because as Pastor Howard read, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams of pools of water, with spring flowing in the valleys and the hills, land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills when you've eaten and are satisfied praise the lord your god for the good land he has given you god's plan all along was to bring israel from mercy uh, emergency mercy dependence on god on the manna to uh, an empowerment uh, reliance and mercy on the land itself he wanted them to kind of grow up it's not that he wanted them not to be dependent on him It's just not to be dependent on the manna itself. He wanted them to mature and to learn how to... Look, they're going to get... It's filled with bread. What's that mean? That means it's filled with wheat and barley and rocks that you get to crush the stuff up with, put water in, make a flour, cook, figure out how to do fire, cook the bread, and then make it happen. Now, if you're feeling lazy, that's not feeling like much mercy. But it actually is. It's incredibly dignifying. Try manna for 40 days, for 40 years. And see if you want to make something with your hands. See, there's copper in those hills. Go dig them out. Go find your way. The, um, I've come to bring uh, to bless the fruit of your hands. Your work is dignifying and good. And I'm going to be merciful to you by giving you an opportunity to work and feel like, I hate to say this, feel like a man, you know, and a woman. I just don't know how to do that, you know. But to feel like a man in terms of working hard for those things. You know, that's what's going on. That's when you come alongside and you help empower and encourage those skills and opportunities. That's what God's doing here. He gave him a land. Oh, much more difficult. But so much more dignifying. Examples of this are the art school that we're trying to start here in Noda. 
an organization that's about bringing dignity to work, to, to help bring spilled self-esteem, to see God-given ability to create things or to sing things or to play things or to act out things that gives them uh, hope and respect and for themselves and for the Lord's good creation in the world. This is Terrence when he used to work and now Joel when he does work at the YWCA, not just being with kids to keep them safe off the street in an emergency care situation, but digging deep, learning families, uh, learning what family issues are going on, staying up late, having long conversations, helping people work on their homework, trying to figure out what things are going on there. This is Scott Welton and Ace Rafiti helping people try to find houses. This is Julia Chittister who's involved in the board, uh, a board called Community Link, an organization that helps people in town try to uh, transition into uh, more st- stable places. This is Amanda Hyatt, my own wife, who spends every uh, other Tuesday at, the, um, at Thompson Child Development Center over there volunteering, digging in with students like she's done for the last two and a half years. This is Trish Hobson, who has a long-term tutoring, mentoring relationship with a young girl she met through Big Brothers and Big Sisters. They've been meeting for five or six years now. This is Jeremy Serzano, who volunteers with Urban Young Life, spending huge chunks of time to build relationships. But in his little secret way, he's trying to also build them into uh, little entrepreneurs so that he can hand over some of his businesses over to those students so that they can be self-sufficient. He is, what motto here? He's trying to teach a man to fish. Give a man a fish is good, but now you're trying to teach a man a fish he can eat forever, right? And both of those are incredibly merciful acts. Emergency and empowering. But then you have equality. And this kind of moves a little bit more onto the justice side of things. And this is, uh, th- this is where we start meddling. And this is where the church really hightails it and runs. But it's still a biblical paradigm. I love it when people go, well, I want to be, a first ce- I want to be like the first century church. I want to, be, I want to, I want to you know, be that close to Jesus. You know, the first century church was a train wreck. Just like our churches. <laughs> it, was, it needed Jesus to come help and heal. <laughs> in the first century church, you find, the, the, in my idea, the best picture of equality, mercy, and justice. This paradigm or this pattern for, for equality, mercy, and justice. It's in Acts 6, 1 through 5. It's actually in your bulletins. Here's what was going down. They were Jewish. They were, they were all both Jewish, but they were Hebrew Jews and Grecian Jews, Greek Jews. And... Uh, and uh, they, were, they had the kind of daily supply of bread. And uh, the daily supply of bread was supposed to go to the widows. Well, the Hebrew Jews were in charge of the, uh, the supply of bread, and they kept neglecting the Grecian Jews. A problem. Clearly a problem. Now, that's got to be messed up, right? I mean, you're, this is the church. You're coming in. Then you're, you come in from a different race, and they give you, they pass you by to give the, their own race uh, food. And they're all widows, by the way. It's not, you know, I mean, this is not like, you know, some other, it's not a merit-based kind of thing. So here's what it says. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. The twelve would be the apostles. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Wait on tables is a technical term for the distribution of this food. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give you attention, give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and, the, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert from Judaism. Here's what's amazing about this. All seven of those people are Greek. 
literally, an equality move of justice happened, or, or mercy and justice, a shalom bringing, where the group that was oppressed was picked to rule the group that was uh, oppressing for a time. And here, here's where you know the Holy Spirit was working. It pleased the whole group. If you just try to do that, it won't work because oppressed people ain't any better than the oppressor people. And they get on top and then they'll start oppressing. I mean, it'd just be bad. But what's happened here is there's some dignifying. I, I don't want to read too much into Scripture because I don't... Uh, yeah, it's dangerous. Um, but, but something beautiful happened here. The people saw that, their own, that they were wrong. The, the, the Hebrew Jews saw that they were wrong and they gladly submitted to the Greek Jews. They were happy about it. And clearly they picked people full of the Holy Spirit who are willing to, to not uh, right the wrongs against them. But there's this equality, mercy, and justice that happens. This is one of the most amazing passages in Scripture to me. And it's, it's, it, unless you know names, you don't know that they're Greek. But this is an amazing thing that happens. What an upside-down, beautiful kingdom that we've been called to. So as much as the church was, a, church was a train wreck at this time, the Lord really did something special and amazing by bringing this shalom that subverted and inverted. Now, we don't know if this goes on forever. We don't think it's a requirement. I mean, that's all kind of irrelevant. But look what happens. This, uh, this uh, ridding of the injustice. This is the qualities that are happening here. This is Pastor Howard being on the board of Ujama that lets people get uh, first-time home buying uh, uh, possible. This is when you treat people and other people's stuff like it were your own. There's a there's a couple among us who um, who is saving for their mentee or their mentor uh, their their protege uh, for their for their for their protege the same way they're they're saving for their own kids' college. That's equality, mercy, and justice. This is giving people voices that don't have voices. This is Sonia uh, who, does, uh, who does this very thing by giving abused women uh, a voice to be heard amid their abused situations. This is the sluters who show up at your door ready to paint or clean or move as if it were their own house every single time. This is Charlie Marcourt who started a school that required one, full, one half of its students to be below the poverty line and committed to raise the money to make the difference for the other folks. This is equality, mercy, mercy and justice. I want to be careful here because it could be self-whatever. But this is having a black and white pastor on a pastoral staff. But it's also just babysitting co-ops where you treat your kids like the other kids, like they were your own. This is Jennifer Gerard's ministry to immigrants, teaching job skills uh, so that people become, in English, so that people become full members of this society, equal members into this world. They could walk in these ways. Emergency, empowering, equality, and enduring. And enduring is the, is the flaky one, really. It's the one that's, uh, that, that basically says you normalize the other three. It's a life of mercy and justice. You see what happens in Acts 13. You have the passage there. Again, it's, you, you find things by name uh, uh, in, in Acts a lot. In the church at Antioch, this wonderful church, there are prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Greek. Simeon called Niger, black guy. Lucian of Cyrene, black guy. Menaean, who was brought up in the, Herod, in the house of Herod the Tetrarch, which is blue blood Jew. That's what that is, uh, what, what it means. He's a rich boy. And Saul, a convert. These are the elders of the church. These are the elders of the church. And while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I bring this one up for this enduring mercy because 
It's just normal now. They've lived lives of such mercy and justice, the first three E's, that now they're just doing ministry together. These people that are so different from themselves. We think it's a little different in American culture, uh, you know, uh, a culture founded in slavery and segregation and all sorts of other things, that it's odd that people like the elders would be from such different, so different. In the first century, this was ludicrous. This was absolutely ludicrous that you would ever, ever cross your, gen- your, your, uh, your status lines. Um, I said, about to say gender, that's true too, gender lines or your race lines. Look, you saw from the earlier passage, two sets of Jews couldn't even get along. This is absolutely ludicrous. But in Antioch, it's just normal. It's an enduring mercy and justice brought about by the Lord. That It's just kind of normal. It's kind of the first three E's, if you will, to do an adoption. But at some point, it just becomes your kid. Right? So the adoptions that we have us, the Mays and the Marquarts and the Dixons, you know, it's kind of one of those three somewhere. But at some point, it's just Wesley Marquardt. It's just an enduring thing. It's when we start writing county commissioners and and trying to help uh, change systematic things in our society, not just for ourselves in our own little street corner, but for everybody else. We just think like that now. We think about voting not just to help our own situation, but the whole world. It's the hills getting ready to move into the into 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 a, a kind of high crime area. At some point, you know, it's just their house. That's what it's going to be. That's it. A nice house. It's actually what we hope to do at Christ Central. That we would be a virus of redemption in all the areas of life that we have. That would be a virus of grace in wherever room that you're in, whether it's a boardroom or a toy room or a playroom, whether you're in front of an easel or you're in front of a crowd or you're in front of the boss or you are the boss in front of your employees. It's doing everything we do with an eye towards this peace, this justice, this mercy, this redemption, this restoration of dignity, this shalom. At some point, it just becomes normal. It's not give a man a fish. It's not teach a man a fish. It's going to a joint venture and buy another pond together. Those are the patterns of mercy and justice. And I just want to spend a little time on there just to explode the biblical paradigms for you so that you would know what was there. You would know that we can run on any of those rails, that we can, we can be people of all those things. And to answer the question of what do I do when a homeless man uh, has the sign out front uh, and what am I supposed to do? Well, any of those things. You can give a man a fish. You can teach a man to fish. You can uh, uh, help him find a job and try to have an equal relationship with the man, hire him. You can do all sorts of things. And then you can just have a relationship with him for a long period of time and, uh, and, and have an enduring mercy and justice and peace. All those are great options for us. The answer probably won't happen in 30 seconds. But those are the patterns. What I really want to help you with and help us with is not just the patterns, the paradigms that are in Scripture, but the, the person of mercy and justice or the persons of mercy and justice. And you know where we're going. You, you get this every time. The persons of mercy and justice are not us. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one in the same substance, equal in power and in glory. This whole second point is so that you'll get one thing. 
that God is the source of mercy and justice in your life. Yahweh the Father is. Yahweh the one who brought, uh, brought Israel out of Egypt as he did, starting with emergency justice and moving towards emergency mercy and, and moving towards uh, empowering mercy and justice. But he's also the one that did amazing things like create laws. God the Father created laws that uh, you weren't able to glean from your whole field. Uh, I wish we were all agricultural people. But like if this, this stage were my field, um, I could uh, harvest it, but I had to leave the corners. This was a law in Israel. You had to leave the corners so that the poor could come in and glean themselves. It was an instituted law. Talk about equality, mercy, and justice. It's talking about shalom bringing. You just, okay, leave, this, leave the scraps, if you will, so that someone with dignity can come and make their own food. Leave those alone. You don't need it to profit that much. Not just that. Every seven years and every, 40, and every 49 years, um, uh, the year of Jubilee would happen every 49 years. And, um, and God put it in there that if you owe debt, you got it forgiven. People would give your land back. Now, I have to tell you this because it's disappointing, but it'll make Jesus really bigger in the end. There's actually no recorded history of Israel actually doing it, but they were told to do it. It was the law from the Lord. <laughs> There's some good bankers in there, you know. Uh, but what do we, how would that affect the way we think about systems and things like that? That the Lord himself had put systems in place that, okay, the monopoly game's over. Everybody give your money back. We'll start again. I'll take Park Place. Um, indentured servants had to come back and be freed. It's just the way it was. But it's not just God the Father. It's God the Spirit as well, the, the kind of uh, the stepchild of the Trinity we don't hear much about. But it's so important that he's about, the, you understand that he's about this mercy and justice as well. He's the one who uh, Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave you with the Spirit, the Helper, the one to take care of your emergency emotional needs. I'm the one that's going to come and care for your souls. And what about empowerment? It says, don't be afraid when you're having to defend yourselves against authorities or what you would say. The Holy Spirit in the very hour will teach you what to say. He's going to empower you to speak. Speak kindness and grace and mercy and justice. Speak evangelism, which is this context, as they're getting in trouble for preaching. Um, But not just emergency and empowerment, but equality and enduring too. Let me read to you what the Spirit does for believers. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, it talks about us groaning for redemption, for our bodies, for, ever, for shalom, really. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God working for the good of those who are called according to His purpose is directly tied to the Spirit's intervening and intercessing and taking care of us, having an equality and enduring mercy that happens before us. He's the one that makes us cry out and calling us sons of God, therefore equal brothers with Jesus, not equal in in every way, but equal in status, that we, we're both, we, it's the one that, uh, that, that helps us understand and cry out that we are children of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. It's an enduring and, and empowering and equality, mercy that He does. 
But y'all, if you really want to know about mercy and justice, you look at Jesus. Now, I know that's a little bit unfair because I'm supposed to treat the, the Trinity equally, but that's not how the Trinity describes itself. It says Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So if you want to know about God and mercy and justice, you look at Jesus. You want to talk emergency and empowerment? In Mark 7, friends of this uh, beggar, deaf, mute, bring him bring this guy to Jesus and they're begging him to place his hands on him. And I just would love to know what psychologically must be happening because Jesus does some crazy things. He doesn't just with words speak and say you're healed. He says he took him aside away from the crowd. Think about all this other care that's going on. He takes him aside from the way from the crowd in Mark 7, 33. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit And he touched the man's tongue. To a man who probably had been ostracized and left alone and left for dead and probably years had not been touched. He gets intimate in his healing with him. He puts his fingers in his ears and spits and touches his his tongue. And then he says, Ephaphtha, or be opened, and all is opened. And what does this do to the man? Not only does he collapse in, in utter joy, But guess what he can do now? He can work. (laughs) He doesn't have to beg anymore. The New Testament church in, in Ephesus, when they did this, they did so much of this kind of not just healing of this kind, but healing of hearts, that it overturned the economic system of, uh, of temple worship in Ephesus. So much so that the New Testament uh, apostles had to be, they were trying to be kicked. There was a riot because they didn't need that stuff anymore. They didn't need it anymore. There was so much healing, so much uh, mercy that was going on uh, of empowerment types and others that the, the temple prostitutes were going broke. And it caused a riot in Ephesus. That's what Jesus' power does. And what about equality and enduring? When Jesus' harder side, you know, he flips over those tables and everybody's like, well, you know, everybody's entitled to a bad day. Jesus sat down, it says in John, and tied the rope. He tied the whip. One of the passages says specifically that uh, he was especially mad at the dove merchants. He was mad at all the merchants, but the dove merchants. Well, if you do a little backtrack in history, the dove merchants are the ones that sold to the poor their sacrifice and offering options. Remember, you're in the temple and you've got to put some sacrifice. The doves were the cheap things. Um, they're not as the white ones. They're, they're kind of ugly looking. If you've ever been on a dove shoot, they're not really that nice looking. But you have those on the side and, uh, and so that they didn't have to take them from home. They sold them on the outside and they must have been jacking up the prices on the doves for the poor and exploiting the poor. And they had to pay extra gouged prices for a sacrifice that wasn't that was supposed to be an emblem of the Lord's grace and kindness. The same God who Isaiah says, come without money and buy. They should have been handing out the doves for free and they were gouging the prices. Jesus is not fired up because he just had a bad day. He's fired up because how dare, how dare you put a cost on the free grace of God. How dare you do that? If you want to look at mercy and justice, you look at Jesus. 
And here's where the power of all that comes in, my friends. The power of that comes in when you realize that you're not just the subject, the actor in mercy and justice, but you're the object of God's mercy and justice. That you're the one um, who is deaf and mute. This is not a be like Jesus sermon, though I do want us to be like Jesus in these things. (laughs) But this is come and receive emergency mercy for your heart and soul. Yield to the Spirit and let Him comfort you. Come to Jesus who, uh, who can take care of your finances. Be empowered and freed up. It may hurt. It may stink to move from a place where you're um, dependent on others all the time and moving towards um, some sense of uh, dependent on yourself in this great dignified way. But come and do those as well. Come and give up your oppressive behavior and yield uh, to the oppressed and come and, and be joyful about it. See, we all need this. And then come to the one who intercedes on our behalf, who intercedeth as, uh, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus says, who comes and endures for us the great high priest who does not need to make atonement for his own sin, but only makes atonement for our sin. That's where the power for this to move forward is. It's believing that these things could actually be true, that you and I could... See, some of us never need emergency mercies because we're so scared that he wouldn't actually be there in an emergency. So we hoard all our stuff. We never need anybody. Some of us always need emergency mercies because we're so scared that he might actually teach us to cook and make bread. We all need to come to Jesus for that. We all need to come to him and find the power of that amazing mercy. I'm not sure where to go. I don't really know what to do with the guy on the side of the street. (laughs) Sometimes I give a fish. Sometimes I give him the card to the jobs program down the street. (laughs) Sometimes we just hang out. Sometimes I run away. I don't want to have anything to do with it. But the man on the street is actually, that question is asking so many more questions. It's broadening so much more of what we're to be about as a church. But let me encourage you, the answer to the question is not to figure out what you need to go do and go do it. It's to receive mercy upon mercy upon mercy from God himself. You're going to be a much better emergency mercy giver once you've been an emergency emergency taker, receiver. You're going to be a much better uh, empowerment mercy giver and say the hard things that you've been scared to say the whole time once you have received empowerment mercy yourself. I just want to encourage you to drink deep of all the places where the Lord would have you to receive His mercy and His grace. It's exactly what Pastor Howard and I dreamed up when we wrote that Christ Central Church wants to be about the redemption of all creation. We think that everywhere you are, mercy and justice need to be because it's needed out there and because it's needed in you. Let's all turn to Jesus for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're the merciful one. We thank you that, uh, that you sent your Son in mercy to us to do justice 
for us, that it's both merciful and just that you would forgive our sins because of what your Son has done. And thank you for sending the Spirit to care for us, to be our helper, to be our paraclete, our counselor, to be our helper, uh, uh, the one that we can lean on. Be with us now as we take your supper. We ask in your name. Amen. This is the place where God gives a man a fish. But it's...